It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today on today's show. My friend and yours, Stephen Offenbaker, joins me for a very spirited chat. We've got a long episode today, actually, so for your listening pleasure here on this spring training Thursday. We've got all kind of stuff we're about to get to. We're going to talk about David Bell. We're going to talk about Nixon Zell. We're going to talk about Aquino. We're talking about position battles, some different things like that. We'll jump into all of that here in just a moment. Before we do, though, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Why? That way you don't miss a beat on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, the Himalaya Podcasting app, Podbean, whatever it is you use. Hit that subscribe button so you get each and every episode into your queue each and every day. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. And also, save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone. Reactions, comments, questions, whatever you've got. 513-549-0159. All right, we've got a ton to get to here with Stephen Offenbaker. We're going to jump right into it right this minute. For today's episode, we've got your friend and mine, Stephen Offenbaker, the host of the Reds Alert podcast, coming to us live. Well, coming to me live. Uh, You on the podcast listening, not live, but coming to us live. Anyway, from the big island of Hawaii. Steve, how you doing, man? Aloha. I'm doing great. Aloha, dude. Glad to have you back on. I tell you, there's been a lot that's happened since we last talked. Obviously, a busy offseason for the Reds, and they've even played a couple of spring training games. Now, they're 1-3. and three. Is it safe to say that David Bell's on the hot seat? Oh boy, are you one of those? Are you one of those guys? No. In fact, in fact, I sent out a tweet yesterday. Um, I didn't get to watch the game live, and so people were telling me, "Don't waste your time. They, you know, they're terrible. They lost this and that." And you know, so I, uh, you know, I tweeted back out. Basically, you know, I don't watch the spring training stuff with any regard to wins and losses. None of that matters to me because the the pitchers are not pitching like they would in a game. They're working on specific pitches and they're throwing them in situations that they wouldn't normally throw them. And hitters are working on hitting the ball the other way and doing things that they wouldn't normally do in a certain situation in a game. So for me, the spring training games are about getting to, you know, have a look at the new guys that are in camp 
and uh, getting to have a look at the guys that maybe are on the fringe to make the team and see how they respond to that kind of pressure. And then getting a look at the up-and-comers that you know aren't going to make the team but can show you flashes of uh, maybe what's uh, yet to come as far as their development goes. So there's a lot to see in spring training, and none of it involves wins and losses. Right? I mean, I, I saw some comments, like, people talking about, like, oh, they got to get that winning mentality going in spring training. No, they don't. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, worrying about spring, spring training results, uh, they have no bearing on the season whatsoever. Like, you you never hear a player on the World Series champion team. Like, I'm pretty sure we could go back and look at every interview from – a Washington national after last year's world series. And I don't think we'll find any mention to their spring training record. Just don't. I, I, I think it's hilarious that people think about that. And like you said, I mean, that's one of the big things I joked about the other day with Luis Castillo is that, Oh, well, he didn't get out of the first inning. Well, as cowboy would say, and on the radio, he was just really working hard on that slider. I think he threw his slider most of the time. Like, there's no percentage or anything like that. But spring training, it's all about the eye test. It's about, are guys ready? And and like Bronson said on the interview with him, he's talking about spring is when you warm up. You don't want to be peaking in February. I mean, peaking in oh, February exactly. makes no sense. It's, so, and, it's, and, you know, it's like Joey says. You go out there and you do the work, and you build up some stamina. You get yourself in shape. And I want to say that it was in the interview that he did with, with Jim Day. I can't remember. Uh, who exactly it was that said it? It might have been Votto, but basically that you know they come out of of Arizona, uh, the pitchers anyway, still needing another two or three weeks of work to really hit their stride. You know, just right. because we suddenly hit opening day on the 26th doesn't mean suddenly all of the pitchers' arms are ready. And with with the season starting earlier and earlier every year, seemingly, you know, it's going to take a little time for the pitchers to build up to throwing five, six, seven innings uh, effectively. So spring training is to see the guys that, if, if you don't watch minor league baseball on a regular basis like our friend Doug Gray does, then you can see some of these guys actually get some game action. But for the most part, let's let's stop with the results focus and all this other stuff. But speaking of David Bell, We'll we'll get off of this topic complaining about stupid people. Uh, it was David Bell's second year as the Reds manager will be a lot more pressure packed, I think, than the first one. Now I'm not saying that it's a, like oh it's a win or go home situation for him. They're not going to fire him if if they don't do good. But at the same token, there's definitely going to be an onus on how he handles the bullpen. Something that he sort of learned on the fly last season. I mean, obviously he learned a lot of stuff. First year as a manager ever in the major leagues. But on the on the same token, I think he's he's got to realize he can't manage every game like game seven. I wonder how many more double switches we see. When you think of 2020 in our second year with David Bell, what's the first thing that you want to see from him? Well, it's an interesting question because – I think, uh, by and large, we'll see mostly the same David Bell this season that we saw last season. Uh, there's a couple things that will change the way he manages in-game. Uh, the first one being the ridiculous three-batter minimum rule that uh, Manfred Hates Baseball has 
uh, instituted within the league, that's going to limit some of the things that Bell did with the bullpen last year. Um, it, it's going to, you know, probably cut his moves in game by 25% or so. Uh, as far as the double switches and and the juggling of the lineup, I think that's going to continue exactly uh, this year as it did last year, maybe even more so because now not only does he have just many guys that can play multiple positions, but he's got to find a way to get some very, very good players playing time and the only way that that's going to happen and keep everybody happy is for him to juggle the lineup. Uh, people are going to have to move around and, and play different positions throughout the week. Uh, somebody is going to have to assume that super utility role. Uh, I, I guess that's going to be Senzel, the way people are talking about it right now. I'm not really thrilled with that, but it looks like at least in the early stages, that's going to be his role. And I suppose as long as he's getting you know, five or six starts a week at various positions. It doesn't really matter where he's playing, but, uh, you know, David Bell's going to really have to juggle to get these guys on the field, uh, at least the position players. And I feel like what he did last year and what he learned along the way is probably good training for what he's going to have to do this year. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Pressure is a key word because, you know, is he going to be on the hot seat? You know, maybe that's a little bit extreme, but I can guarantee you this, you know, Bob Castellini didn't sign $160 million worth of contracts to finish second or third. The, the, the onus is on winning and winning right now, this minute today. So I think that there is going to be some pressure. I, I would, I would bet if you could get an honest answer from David Bell, when he took this job, he thought it was a three to five year project before there would be the level of pressure that he's going to have this season. And, it, you know, suddenly, uh, the front office got moving and he finds himself uh, in year two where he thought was probably going to be a four or five year deal. Yeah, I reckon the $166 million that Bob signed into existence this offseason means that his much maligned comment about 77 wins is uh, no longer going to be the case. When it comes to David Bell, I think the interesting thing, and I want to get your take on this as well, because my belief when it comes to the manager in baseball is it's kind of diminished. And I know that people celebrate Joe Madden and they've celebrate managers in the past and things like that, but there is literally not one manager in baseball who goes an entire 162 game season without garnering some amount of vitriol from the fan base, whether it be on uh, sports talk radio shows or social media, what have you. I mean, they, everyone complains about their manager. There's not one guy that's above it. Where do you see the role of a major league manager nowadays? Because honestly, I mean, I can see where it's important for them to help meld the egos on the team. But outside of that, I, I, I just don't know. Well, first and foremost, I think you're right in that the manager's job is to manage the personalities, keep the clubhouse copacetic, and try and foster an environment where the team comes together and plays as a team and works toward a common goal. I think in modern managing now, uh, it's the manager's job to pull together a game plan and a strategy, not for a particular game, but for the season you know, effectively communicate that strategy to the ball club and then help to implement it. And and that doesn't necessarily mean in-game moves and strategy because I think more and more the analytics are actually dictating the strategy. 
it's you know it's not about let's sneak in a, a squeeze bunt here or see if we can steal a couple bases when we catch them not paying attention. I mean those opportunistic type things will happen along the way. But by and large, I think it mostly comes down to uh, you know analyzing the film, studying the pitchers, breaking down the matchups, and trying to put the best players in a position to have the most success depending on who's on the mound. And I think that's the role of the manager nowadays. But they got to put down the iPad, Steve. Well, there may not be any <laughs> iPads in the dugout at all. All now, thanks to uh, certain teams in Texas who shall remain nameless. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, man, I tell you what, with technology. It's, uh, anyway, I won't get into all that. <laughs> um, when it comes to the team, though, there, there's definitely a bunch of hot-button issues and topics. And not really – and I guess when you say hot-button, you think of negativity. There's a lot of positivity around these teams. It's a lot different from years past. Some of the key elements, kind of like you said with Nick Senzel playing a super utility role, something that I don't understand is that we continue – it seems like once we hear one thing, we hear something else. It's like, oh, okay, well, he's not being traded. Well, is he going to play second base? No, he's not going to play second base. We're, we're talking about everyone else playing second base. Okay, well, is he going to be the everyday center fielder? Well, I mean, he's going to play in center field, but so Shogo, and now we're playing Aquino in center field, and we're seeing who else can play in center field. Okay, well, is he at least healthy? Well, no, he's not healthy. All right, well, why is he not healthy? And then a day later, oh, he's healthy. He's probably going to be back by opening day. What, what, what are you taking away from all this? It's, it's crazy. Well, let me jump in first off on Aquino in center field. Uh, something I noticed uh, having been in Goodyear last year uh, with the outfield positioning and, and placement, you know, there was some games in Goodyear where Yasiel Puig was playing center field. And, you know, that wasn't in an effort to develop him as a center fielder. I think it was more an idea of here's a couple looks at what it's like out there just in case we ever have an emergency and need to use you. And I think that that's a smart strategy because Goodyear is the place you want to do that. So that if something happens in July and you're on a short bench and somebody gets an injury late in the game, you know, you can tell Aristides, hey, you got to move over. Sorry, but, you know, at least he's been there at some point in time in the last calendar year. I think that's what that's about. I would not expect to see Aquino playing any uh, meaningful innings in center field on this team in the coming year. Uh, and uh, assuming that he's on the big league roster, uh, you got, you know, Senzel and Shogo that can split time there. And as a, a late inning emergency, you can always throw Lorenzen out there. So I suspect that it, it's just more about giving guys looks so that if an emergency arises, they're not caught flat footed. I will say on the Aquino front, I've got a thought on that coming up. Um, there's, as much as there can be roster battles on a roster this deep, there are a couple I want to get your take on. But before we do jump into that, the thing that I've been thinking when it comes to Nixon Zell, and I know we've been talking about the ambiguity with which his situation has been approached this season, I almost think it's good for him. I understand that he's the promised player, the promised prospect, the guy who was going to save the team and all this other stuff because he's been the top prospect for so long. But at the same token, I think that them taking the pressure off of him like they have, not saying out of the gate that he's going to be the leadoff hitter. In fact, maybe even saying the opposite, saying that Shogo's the leadoff hitter and Senzel, we're just going to get him in the lineup somewhere. I think that's all good for his development. Am I wrong? 
Maybe. I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. In fact, I ran a poll on the Reds Alert podcast Twitter feed asking if people thought that the organization was disrespecting Senzel. And so to my surprise, 70% of the people that voted in that poll said, no, it's just a business and all the trade speculation and the things they're doing is it's just part of the game. They're not disrespecting him. But And I can see that argument. But if you take in whole the way the Reds have treated him over the last three seasons, I feel like it's time to stop screwing with this kid's head. Uh, if you want him to establish himself as a bona fide star in the major leagues, he needs to have a position. He needs to play five or six out of the seven days a week. He needs to know when he shows up at the ballpark that he's going to be on the field and he's going to be doing his job for the team. Uh, you can't expect him to to continue to develop if he's getting jerked around all the time. And I really think that at this point, now that they've played their service time games and they've played their let's move you to three or four different positions games, uh, it's time to to take what they've done and forced him to learn and and just make it be where he's on the field. And if it's the super utility role, it needs to be a defined role. Someone needs to sit him down and tell him, you're going to play six days a week. We're going to rotate you through these four positions. We're going to need you to take infield and, and outfield practice at these four positions throughout the season. These are the things we're going to need you to do. But what they can't continue to do is, well, maybe this. Oh, you know, not so much. Let's try that. Uh, you know, shortstop. Ah, no, nah, not shortstop. Second base. Ooh, no, not second base. Maybe center. Uh, I don't know. How about a corner outfield spot? They have to stop that. They're going to ruin him somewhere along the way if they continue to jerk him around. I guess I do. I, I do see that. Give the guy a defined role, or at least tell him if it's going to be as a journeyman. You know, kind of a, as far as an a field gypsy, if you. Maybe not that. That's a, I don't know what I'm saying. A guy who moves around a lot, super utility guy. I was trying to say something else besides super utility, but I ended up saying super utility. Um, but when it comes to that, I, I think I'm with you there. But I don't know. I just think that between him and Aquino kind of getting pressure taken off of them, that could be a good thing. On the Aquino front, though, and something that you mentioned trying to see exactly, you know, if he could at least handle himself should an emergency arise and he needs to be in center field, I think there's going to be a discussion because Aquino has an option and Phil Irvin doesn't. Now, if you took a straw poll and, and you you compared them talent, mono e mono, health, you know, you're not worried about options, you're not worried about contract, whatever it is, I think you probably pick Aquino. But do you think the Reds pick Aquino over Irvin heading into opening day? I just don't see it being a They're not going to give Irvin away for free. This is what I know. Sure. Uh, they're not going to just let him walk. And at some point, the 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 business of the game takes the precedent over, you know, having the best players in the best positions. And, you know, that being said, if everybody's healthy at the end of spring training, the guy with options is the guy that's going to miss out. And and they'll say the right things. He's going to be sent to Louisville so that he can play every day and continue to work on his stuff and be available to them uh, when the, the need arises, whether it be through injury or a trade presents itself or whatever it is. But, you know, the worst thing is going to be if they find a way to squeeze, you know, so many outfielders onto the roster that, you know, the second, the secondary guys aren't getting enough playing time because worse than being in Louisville every day is sitting on the bench and playing once a week. So for me, that, that option 
is going to to buy him a ticket to Louisville at least to start the season and until a move is made maybe to address the shortstop position or if an injury strikes. We're going to jump into some talk about Jose Garcia, maybe even take a look at some of the remaining few and exactly how many remaining few roster spots are actually up for grabs this spring training. But before we jump into all of that, I wanted to let you know that now that Cactus League spring training action has begun, maybe you're thinking about going out to Arizona. You know what the best way to do that is? Go to visitarizona.com slash spring training. It's one-stop shop. You get your hotel, your tickets, your flight, everything that you need. You even get itineraries there on the website for different excursions that you can take whenever you get to Arizona. And the best thing about Cactus League spring training, if you ask any beat reporter or anyone that follows along with the Cactus League action, is that everyone, all 15 teams, are within a 15-mile radius of Phoenix. So you can stay in Phoenix, you can get a load of the bar scene, the restaurants, all that good stuff that's there in Phoenix, all the local breweries that they've got. Great nightlife, great atmosphere in and around the city, and... You're close to everything. So you can see the Reds, you can see the Angels, you can see the Dodgers, you can see everybody, and you don't have to drive very far. The best way to get out there, though, is through visitarizona.com slash spring training. It's the home base for baseball fans for a reason. Go there and book your trip out to Cactus League spring training action today. That's visitarizona.com slash Spring training. That is true. I mean, history has shown us that if a player does not have an option, they have a leg up to get on the roster, i.e. Robert Stevenson last year. Of course, then his performance in the season made us forget totally that it was kind of a backed-into-the-corner situation where they didn't want to give him up for free, but he ended up playing well anyway. Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. Let's jump into a guy who's really come onto the scene here in the early part of spring training. And I, some of us knew his name, knew at least a little bit of his quality, thanks to Doug Gray and some folks writing about him. And that is Jose Garcia, or depending on who's writing his name, Jose Israel Garcia. Dude has looked really good. And I got a poll up, if if you guys haven't seen it, on the Locked On Reds account on Twitter. Would you rather do this? Is say, say this option's on the table. I don't even know if this option's on the table. It seems like they've tried it and they have not yet come up with a star shortstop. But would you rather trade for a star shortstop now and all that entails with giving up prospects, giving up players, that, that sort of thing, or – would you stay as is with Freddie Galvis as your 2020 shortstop? And most likely, I'm not exactly sure as to what this year holds for him, but most likely maybe Jose Garcia as your 2021 shortstop. Which would you prefer? Oh, I'd make that trade right this minute to bring in a, a, a star. Without a, without you defining what you mean by star, I mean, you know, my my understanding of star and your understanding of star are probably about the same thing. Uh, if we go out and get a star shortstop and, you know, it, obviously, you know, not superstar in like Lindor, but if they go out and make a significant upgrade to the shortstop position and they can do that right now, do it because, you know, ah, Garcia's look good. And, and you're right. Doug's done some reporting on him that, you know, makes him look like, uh, 
he may be uh, an option down the road. Is that down the road next season? I don't know that. I'm not sure of it. I mean, yeah, he's looked good in the, what, three games so far this year. But, you know, spring's a funny thing. Scott Schebler looked great in spring last year. (laughs) So, I mean, for whatever that's worth. So, for me, you upgrade and you do whatever you have to do to win right now. This minute. Win games this year. And if that means trading away some prospects and upgrading that shortstop position, then you do it. He definitely has been the player du jour, and who knows, maybe next week we'll have a different player du jour. But I, I, I do agree with you, and it's kind of one of those things, like even after I made the poll, I had to stare at it for a minute, and I still haven't voted. But I think I'll, I'll go ahead and cast my vote now. I I do agree with you. I know that some would probably wish that I would at least give another opinion, but I, it's hard to go against the idea of trading for like a Corey Seager or a Francisco Lindor. As the season goes on in Cleveland, depending on how they play, if they are not in the thick of things with that division, the way that the White Sox have loaded up, the way that the Twins have, I mean, they played last season and they didn't really get much worse. And all that good stuff, I I wonder if they would be more receptive to a deal for Lindor and something that the Reds could maybe slide in a little bit cheaper as to what it would probably cost right now. So I'm with you. I I think that you got to go for the guy now, as tempting as Garcia may look down the road. And, And I'm just assuming that he even comes up at all in 2021. Knowing the way that the Reds like to manipulate service time, and all that different stuff, and who knows, uh, we might have a completely different climate, different climate, when it comes to service time issues and rookie contracts and all that different stuff coming up soon. But what I know is this: the Reds like to add that extra year, and if they can, they will. He probably won't be their opening day shortstop in 2021, and Freddie Galvis is a free agent at the end of this year. And I'm not really advocating for the Reds to try and bring him back. I, I just, I don't see that happening. Make no bones about it though. I've been really happy with the way that Jose Garcia has looked, but it's like you said, Scott Shebler. And then you add in guys like Norris Hopper and Dennis Phipps. And, um, Oh, I just lost his name. Neftali Soto guys like that, <laughs> you know, that you're like, Oh, this guy's the future. And then no, no, they aren't. You know, baseball is a marathon, and people forget that. I think that the NFL especially has spoiled, you know, fandom into almost instant gratification. Uh, Mm -hmm. Draft picks play immediately. Uh, You can turn a a franchise around in one season. You can, you know, do many things that you just can't do in baseball. Baseball takes time. Baseball takes finesse. Mm -hmm. Baseball takes, you know, baseball is chess to the NFL's checkers. It's uh, it's it's something that you really have to work at and you really have to be able to look three and four moves ahead. So, you know, is that going to happen with Garcia? You know, I don't know. Um, is is it as likely or not to happen? You know, it's probably less likely to happen than it is likely to happen uh, just because of the nature of the game. So for me, you you play the best guy you can get this year and you worry about next year, next year. I've been asking this question to a lot of guys this offseason, and I've gotten different answers, which has made me happy. I want to know, who are you most excited about of the newcomers to the Reds this year? There's lots of fun stuff to watch right now in regards to this team, both at the major league level and uh, potentially in the minor leagues this year. Uh, At the major league level, I think that 
I really am going to be interested to see what Nick Castellanos does at Great American Ballpark. Just, you know, I've been so excited since uh, C. Trent put out that graphic that was an overlay of <laughs> yes. of Castellanos hits at yep. Comerica overlaid on Great American Ballpark. I, Castellanos could hit 40 or 50 bombs this year if everything goes right. I mean, right. that's going to be fun to watch. And you take that into account where also that that he knows he can opt out and go make a big, big payday if he really performs this year. I think he's going to be out there busting his butt. And not to say that, that he hasn't before because, you know, the way he played in Chicago showed that he will get out there and hustle. So uh, for me, at the big league level, he's probably one that is going to be more fun to watch than we've had in a while. And then I'm also kind of interested to see how Wade Miley shakes out in that fifth spot in the rotation because um, he's got some youngsters nipping at his heels and he's going to have to get out there and deliver. Uh, that being said, if he approaches anywhere near his 2018 form in the limited time that he had with uh, Derek Johnson, uh, he's going to be the best fifth starter in baseball. So uh, there's there's some exciting things at the big league level to, to watch this season just in the, those two free agent signings right there. The official ace of the Lockdown Reds podcast, Bronson Arroyo, very high on our new friend, Wade Miley. So I'm looking forward to see how he goes. He 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 basically compared Wade Miley to himself, at least on the mental side of the game. And that is a very good thing because Bronson was a pretty, pretty uh, stoic dude up on the mound. Never got too high, never got too low. I, I think that Castellanos, I'm so excited about him. I mean, I just... I've been talking about him a lot ever since the Reds got him. He was one of the best free agents this offseason. And the fact that the Reds were even in on any of these top free agent guys, let alone got a lot of them, just so exciting. But Castellanos, he he presents an interesting picture of what the Reds' offense could be because Suarez was a shade shy of 50 home runs. I want to say he had one or two home runs robbed last year. I can't remember exactly, but I feel like he did. He probably should have had more than 50. But Castellanos is an exact kind of dude that's going to hit 50 home runs in Great American Ballpark. All the power in the world. And that contract, like you said, he can opt out. See, it's funny because people like to worry about that. People like to say, oh, oh man, he, he could be gone next year. I think of it like this. He's got a contract year mentality, like you said, for this year and for next year. But he's not actually going anywhere if he doesn't choose to use that opt-out. So we could get really awesome performances, and maybe he just kind of feels at the end of the year that he wants to hang around for a little bit longer. I don't well, know. And, I, and listen, with his contract, we got him for nothing but money, which we were going to have to pay him anyway. If he goes out there and 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 plays at all-star level and opts out to go make a bigger payday. Well, we got that all-star caliber player for an entire season and hopefully uh, on into the postseason. And then if he opts out by the nature of the contract, the Reds can extend him a qualifying offer and get a draft pick out of it if he goes and signs someplace else. So I think as far as a deal being balanced for both sides, uh, I think this is one of those rare contracts, and I said this at the time when he signed. It's one of those rare contracts that actually benefits both sides. You know, Nick gets paid. He's able to opt out and go get paid even better. Uh, it gives him security. If he gets hurt and doesn't necessarily uh, have big numbers, he can come back 
for a second season and and boost his stock a little bit. And then if he has huge year and leaves, the Reds get a draft pick and they had the benefit of him having a huge year. And these are just the player signings. We're not even talking about some of the organizational coaches that they've added, like Kyle Bodie or even Alan Zenter. I'm kind of fired up about the whole idea of Alan Zenter. I mean, not necessarily that he's some you know wizard when it comes to hitting, but the fact that they are aligning the entire organization on one philosophy when it comes to pitching and hitting and fielding and all that different stuff – not necessarily something that we can obviously watch happen right in front of us all in one year, but just the way that this organization is going to go for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future, really. It's something to be really excited about, something that we haven't had. I mean, the last six years, every every time we came into a season, we're just like, well, well what are we getting ourselves into now? I mean, uh, maybe, maybe they'll do something, you know, hope. Uh, yeah, I, I really yeah. like the idea of this organizational strategy uh, on, on the pitching side of things. We've got two guys that are that are very highly touted in Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. And for them to be able to transition the levels and have nothing change uh, is huge, I think, where they can just move to the next level, face the next level of competition, but not having something different barked in their ears from a different set of coaches, I think is going to be huge. And, and on the, the hitting side, uh, there's a couple of players that are really approaching, you know, what we hope are, are breakout seasons, uh, first and foremost being Tyler Stevenson. And if he's going to move from double A AA to triple A this year and put himself in a position to either get a cup of coffee at the end of this season or be at the big league level next year, he's going to need consistency and consistency in his approach. And having this organizational hitting philosophy is going to allow him to do that thing. It's going to allow him to move from Chattanooga to Louisville and just keep doing what he was doing last year that he had so much success with. I'm looking forward to seeing all of that. And I'm telling you what, we, we ran to the point, I don't even know that I want to cut anything today. I think we're just going to make this like a two-parter or something and keep going. Uh, but. <laughs> When it comes to uh, Tyler Stevenson, I really want to see him. I'm really, I'm really rooting for a cup of coffee this year, at the very least. There's some people that were like, "Oh, maybe he's up by June." I'm like, oh, yeah. "Pump the brakes a little bit." But dude is a very talented guy, and if we can get his bat in at catcher, and then you know, for a couple of years, and I saw something that said, you know, maybe um, actually it was. Uh, Clay Snowden wrote an article talking about the transition from Joey Votto to the next guy. Maybe Tyler Stevenson is in those plays. There's a lot of guys that could fit into there, but just the whole idea of Tyler Stevenson, because he's a very athletic dude, six foot four. That's really tall for a catcher. But at the same token, I, I think that he is going to be a phenomenal dude to see come up. And I think that there are some pitchers outside of it the one guy that i always think of because he's got the best name in the organization and that is packy naughton i want to see him develop so well man i i i'm root, i'm rooting for these guys rooting for rooting hard for him and i know we got a deep major league roster for this season but these guys could be some pivotal players in the next coming years yeah you know tyler stevenson and a cup of coffee i mean on one hand i think that would be good for tyler stevenson it would be good to get him a little exposure and, and reward him for the progress that he's making. Uh, the the other side of me, though, feels like if we see Tyler Stevenson in a red uniform this year, it means something went drastically wrong. 
okay. because it means that there's underperforming going on to the point where we can risk ball games by putting rookies, especially at the catcher position that is so important in managing the game and managing the pitchers and, and all of these things. So for me, I, I would rather see Stevenson have an entire season at Louisville. And if that proves successful, maybe think about a September cup of coffee, but the people talking about June and July call-ups, uh, that would mean something really bad happened. That's true. I don't even think about it. Though. Like, probably outside of the perfect storm that led to the awesomeness that was Ryan LaVarnway last year. But, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. If, if it's not uh, Barnhart or Casale, if they're both playing well, then they're not looking at bringing up another catcher because then they've got Kyle Farmer as their emergency catcher. Uh, on the roster as well, and, and I, th- I think I, I don't know. Let's let, let's flesh that out too, because there's only a couple of spots left, really, when you break it down. Because you've got your big players that fill out this roster. You're gonna have 13 pitchers and 13 position players. There might only be one bench spot up for grabs. I mean, real quick. So I'm thinking uh, you got your two catchers in Tucker and Kurt. And then you got Joey Votto, and you got Mike Mustakis, Freddie Galvis, Eugenio Suarez, and then your three outfielders, uh, or five outfielders. Five, really. five outfielders. Yeah. So okay, that leaves like what two bench spots at, at, at and it, two bench spots. And one of those is Josh Van Meter. Um, does Kyle know. Farmer? I don't make know the that roster? that's. I don't know that that's a guarantee. I'll tell you. If if I have to choose between Van Meter and Farmer, I'm taking Farmer, and I know that's probably not a very popular stance, but you have to look at the versatility that Farmer brings in keeping him around because he not only can play every single position on the infield, including the catcher position, but that gives you flexibility to manage uh, the other two catchers, and Barnhart and Casale, in a platoon-type manner and with Barnhart batting exclusively on the left side this year, I think it will be handled more along those lines. And it allows, it gives you in-game flexibility. You, a lot of times you'll see a manager not be willing to make a move at catcher uh, late in a game because if there's a day game the next day or if something happens, well, then you're really stuck. But with Kyle Farmer around, it gives you an extra, an extra layer of possibility. And I think that he performed well last season, uh, it was interesting that he made the roster out of spring last year, and a lot of people were surprised by that. But I think his performance and his versatility really demonstrated just how valuable he is to have on on the team. If anyone out there, and I know I wasn't one of them, I kind of gave my reasons as to why it didn't happen, but if anyone out there was still wondering why the Reds didn't go after Brock Holt, this is why. Because Brock Holt is exactly like Josh Van Meter. Josh Van Meter... Very nice utility player, very nice bat. But like you said, that positional flexibility with Kyle Farm, the fact that he can pretty much play anywhere in the field. I mean, if you can play catcher and shortstop, that means you can play anywhere in the field. And there's so many people that have been like, well, he doesn't hit for a high average. It's like, dude, he's a utility player. We're not asking him to play every day. It's like as long as he can play good defense and have some sort of passable hitting uh, numbers, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for anything really above 250 at most. 
then yeah, I, I I think I'm with you. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see who makes these last two spots. But you know what the good thing is, Steve? What's that? We are talking about who's making the last two spots on this roster instead of who's going to be half of the lineup. Oh, for sure. And there's going to be people losing their mind when it comes down to the final days of spring training and who makes the team and who doesn't. Uh, there's going to be the crowd that <laughs> is is super upset uh, that Derek Dietrich doesn't make the team. And Derek Dietrich won't make the team if both Suarez and Senzel are healthy. Right. Uh, they're not going to keep Dietrich at the expense of Van Meter. Uh, you know, there's going to be questions surrounding Aquino versus... Irvin, there's going to be questions surrounding the final spot in the bullpen. This final spot in the bullpen, there's four or five legitimate major league arms fighting for the final spot in the bullpen. And what a great stinking problem to have right now. And if his first appearance is any indication, if he keeps it up throughout spring training, I'll be interested to see what they do with him. And that's Tyler Thornburg. Dude looked really good in his first appearance in spring training. I, I, I'm with, I think uh, we're going to have to create like some, I don't know, halfway sarcastic, but also kind of serious hashtags like, you know, I don't know, free Van Meter or free Bowman or, you know, just come up with, you know, things like that. So, <laughs> Van, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Van Meter still has options, correct? Pretty, you know, I'm going to look didn't he make his? Didn't he make his debut last year? Oh, yeah. So, so he still has options. So he's going to be a major league ready talent that's going to get shipped to Louisville because they're going to have to play the the baseball business game and to make room on the roster for the guys that are good that they don't want to lose or give away for free they're going to put some they're going to stash some guys in Louisville and I can I can see a scenario where there's a, a frequent bus shuttle back and forth between Louisville and Cincinnati with guys coming up and going back down depending on who has a a, a twinked a tweaked quadricept or you know along those lines I think that Outside of the lineup juggling strategy, there's going to be a roster juggling strategy, whereas in the past they were reluctant maybe to put a guy on the injured list because there really wasn't anybody worth calling up to replace him. But now you're going to have these guys down in Louisville that can jump right in and deliver major league quality performances. What One thing that I was just wondering too, and I may have to Google this to actually know the answer and then I can put it in the podcast, but... On double headers with this expanded roster, do they expand the roster to twenty seven for double headers? They, they do. The the okay. roster will be twenty six players and then it will expand to a twenty seventh player uh for the, the double header. And and possibility it probably gonna be a pitcher, but yeah. They gotta it be is, a pitcher, yep. Yeah. And if for some weird reason it's a position player, they do have lots to pull from there. Uh, man, I tell you what, this, this has been a great. I, I've been, I really enjoyed this conversation, man. Um, let Let's talk real quick because you have had a busy off season yourself on the Reds Alert podcast. Had a lot of great guests, a lot of really good themes. I really enjoyed the women in baseball theme. Uh, what have you got coming up? Well, it's interesting. Everybody else, you included, and 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 Chad guys over at Red Leg Nation, you guys just kept rolling right along and. I decided to take just a little bit different approach in in I took the foot off the gas just a little bit, eased up on the need to put out an episode every week and instead got some good interviews. 
guys out of it. You know, we had Cody Reed on. We had uh, Emily Walden came on just recently to uh, talk a little bit about uh, the interplay of the minor leagues. And, we, you know, there was that was a great conversation. And now as the season gets ready to to be to fire back up, we'll start to pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, The big thing we've got going is, you know, we are probably, I think, two and a half weeks away now from the the great Hawaii Roadshow where we jump on an airplane and fly (laughs) to Goodyear. And we'll spend a week out at spring training grabbing whoever we can grab. We'll do our annual sit down with Trent Rosecrans. uh, We do that one in person. And uh you know, I've had some talks with Chris Welsh about getting together again while I'm out there and uh, and maybe sitting down and recording an episode and uh, just kind of grabbing anybody I can grab uh, as far as coaches and players go while we're in Goodyear. So that's what's on my on my calendar right now. What I'm looking at, what my focus is on is getting to Goodyear and uh, having a good time out there at spring training. We are definitely going to be looking for that in the podcast feed. You can find Reds Alert Podcast on pretty much all of the podcasting platforms, right? That's right. We're pretty much everywhere um, that everybody's getting podcasts. And if we're not on one you want us to be on, you know, shoot me a message and I'll figure it out. Sounds good, dude. Dude, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We'll have you back soon. Well, it's always a good time, Jeff. Thanks. That'll do it for us here on a Thursday. For Friday's episode, I want to dive a little bit deeper into those remaining roster spots and who exactly has the inside track into those as we continue on through this spring training. A couple of things to watch out for as well. It's it's like Steve said. Spring training, it's not about the results. The wins and losses don't matter. And if you're keeping track of someone's batting average or their ERA or something like that through spring training, you're overthinking it. It's about working on stuff, and it's about getting ready for this season that is going to be so very exciting for the Cincinnati Reds. And we're going to talk about it each and every day here on the Locked On Reds podcast. Make sure that you don't miss any of it and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Follow me on Twitter and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159 for the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.